0: Before being seated, if they got a green bracelet, high-five them. If they don't, just air high-five and tell them, you look great today. <laughs> Woo, I don't know if you online could hear that, but I'm telling you, it was a roar in this house. Woo! God is so good. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. The spirit is moving in here. Oh, hallelujah! We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You are our champion. Nothing we'll ever face will be bigger than you. The name of Jesus is greater than any diagnose from any doctor. It's greater than any sin that your family member's under right now. It's greater than any addiction. It's greater than any oppression. It's greater than any principality or power or spiritual wickedness in high places. Oh, the name of Jesus is greater. Woo! (laughs) Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name. Woo! (laughs) Hallelujah. God is good. This place is crazy today. I like it. God is good. Man, he's awesome. Praise the name of Jesus. Well, you know what we got coming up? You know what starts today? Small groups. Yes. Small group, small group, small group. You need to sign up, grab you a magazine. Hey, we got something for you. If you're part of our online campus, we can start a group for you. Just tell us that you want to sign up, and we'll have somebody lead a group for you. We're just glad you're here with us, and we, we thank God. Give it up for our online campus, everybody. We're so glad you're here. Amen. In, in three weeks, Sunday, February 14th, we're going to do... Uh, uh, a, a really cool campaign. We're going to celebrate Valentine's Day together. Uh, there's a couple things we're going to do in-house. One thing we're going to do is Pastor Megan, our kid's pastor, has got recruited a bunch of help. And so what we're going to do is for every family, every couple that would like to go out and have a nice dinner out after church. Or you want to go out with another couple or however you want to do it. You want time alone, doesn't matter. Pastor Megan and her team, she's got a bunch of people recruited. They're going to stay here in-house. And after service, when we dismiss, they're going to keep your children here until 7 o'clock at night and for you to be able to go out and enjoy a wonderful Valentine's dinner with your loved one. How cool is that? Amen. I love it. Yes. Yes. We all need to give Megan a big... Matter of fact, Megan is in adult service with us here today. She's right back there. Megan, stand up. Stand up, Megan. Stand up. She's at the computer. There she is. I'll oh, keep standing and don't be bashful. Stand up, Megan. Yes! Yes! She's going to have food for your little Johnny's and Sally Sue's. You're going to have a great time. You can pair up, find somebody you want to go to dinner with or by yourself. There's like a gazillion restaurants. We usually let that out around 4.30 around here, so you'll beat the crowd. The whole deal, what a deal. Amen. We'll even give you a free set against you knives. Amen. The other thing that we're going to do is we've been promoting uh, digging another well. And that's one of the things that we're doing as a church body is we are uh, going to... I think we're about only $800 short of another well we're going to dig in Africa in a village. Listen, it gives fresh drinking water for 1,000 people the rest of their life. That's huge. And they get the gospel, and many of them get saved. Sometimes the whole, the whole place gets saved. And so we want you to give to that. Now, now listen. That is an offering. Your, your tithe belongs in the house, and, and things like for wells and offerings. Those are additional. That's that's something that you give over and above your tithe. And you say, God, I just want to, I want to, I want to bless you. I want to give to your kingdom. And so that's how that works. That's the way that works. Amen. Everybody amen. say Amen. So uh, there was one more thing, and I don't remember. Anyway, you got to sign up for your children so that Megan and her team know how many people are coming for Valentine's Day. And um, and we'll go from there. I'm pretty sure I'm missing something, but uh, Holly will take care of us. One more thing at offering time. Having said that, um, hang on to your bootstraps. Amen. It's not an exaggeration that I have studied this along this series and subject, I'm trying to, I tried to figure it out. I I have no way of knowing. I I feel, there's no question, I've done over 50 hours of study on this subject last year alone, in addition to my other studies. I I took the year and I went through, and I wanted to see the things that we stand for as Americans. Christianity, the Bible, uh, political beliefs as far as socialism versus capitalism, and, Abortions and all the, the list goes on and on, racism and, and prejudice, and all the things that we're dealing with in society. And I took last year, and I I, I feel pretty certain I, I put 100 hours, at least 100 hours study time into some of these subjects. Now today I'm going to talk about are we a Christian nation. Next week, everybody say next week. I'm going to start uh, going into, I'm going to start kind of drilling down, and we're going to hit socialism versus capitalism. What does the Bible say? I know what me as a southern boy from the south says, but what does the Bible say? And that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about. Now, if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back online, YouTube, uh, our website, our Facebook, and watch the service on the Bible. How many of you know that the Bible is the word of God after last week? Amen? How many knows that to be the, the fact? Somebody say amen. Um, and so we, we welcome Peggy Hines and Keith Endress and Ashley Branscombe online right now. Amen. You, we, we, you know, let us know you're online. We're going to give you a shout out too. Amen. But um, I, I've got a lot of time in, invested in this and I've got a lot in me on it. And I wanted to know for myself, you know, is the things we stand on biblical? Are the things we believe in as Americans centered in the Bible? Is that okay to ask? I mean, what, what, where are we at on this? So last week we dealt with the Bible is the Word of God, so now we know that. And before I start drilling down into all these different subjects, capital punishment, abortion, all these things that I'll do in the coming weeks, are we a Christian nation? Because we've been told by a recent president that we're not. And so I wanted to study for myself. Are we? Was he right? Was I, am I wrong? Do, are we really a Christian nation? So... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw a lot at you today. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to try to take notes. I want you just to sit back and absorb because I'm going to throw a lot at you. I'm going to put a lot on the screen today. And the reason I'm going to do that is to try to prove to you one way or the other, are we a Christian nation? And we're going to dig way, way back, way back to Jamestown, way back to Plymouth Colony, way back to our founding fathers and the Declaration and and so forth. And I'm very excited about it because I've come to a very good conclusion that I think you're going to be happy with. So if you will stand for the reading of God's word, and we're going to dive in, and we, like I said, we welcome everyone watching. Is America a Christian nation? Is America a Christian nation? And I just have one simple verse, uh, Psalm 33 and 12, uh, Psalm 33 and 12, you can just see it on the overhead, it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, amen. Amen. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your awesome presence. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the champion of all, our champion, our victor. Because of you, we walk through those pearly gates. So, God, now I ask you to anoint me to teach forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I pray, Lord, God, let the, the, the good seed of your word grow and bear forth fruit in our lives and be planted in the good soil of our hearts. Anoint me to speak forth this, God, as you have given to me, as I put, put it on the, on the paper and on the, on, on the computer last week. And even though I did it last week, it, it, was a, it was a year process of studying. I thank you for this, and I pray, God, you ignite a faith in us in your word like the founding fathers had. And I pray, God, you teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up. Let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word, in Christ's name I pray, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Again, I have spent hours and hours and hours on this, and um, there's no way I could give you an exhaustive list. It, it'd be too much, so I'm just going to hit some highlights today. And, uh, but I, I want to just dive right in. There, One recent former president boldly said to other countries and us that we were not a Christian nation. In fact, uh, we're being told now by some historians and teachers that the founding fathers were in fact a bunch of deists. That they wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't they be horrified at Christianity in America? Wouldn't they? Uh, surely they would demand separation of church and state. And, uh, and they would demand the Bibles be out of schools and government and public arenas. No doubt about it. I mean, that's what some teachers and historians are trying to tell us today. As a matter of fact, and, and, and having done some, some subbing in schools recently, i found that uh, most history in schools today starts about World War I sometimes or World War II and later. They don't, they don't even really teach American Revolution stuff anymore in our founding fathers. Were we founded on the Bible and Christian principles? How would we know? Because both sides can sound so believable. So let's start with point number one and just hang in there and get ready. Put your eyes on the screen if you're watching live stream. Just stick with me. Point number one is this. America was founded on the Bible. Everybody say America was founded on the Bible. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt or D. Roosevelt from 1933 to 1945. I'm going to show you the eras in which they served said, this book, talking about the Bible, continues to hold its unchallenged place as the most loved, the most quoted, and the most universally read. And pondered of all the volumes which our libraries contain, we cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of the Republic. I suggest, this was a president who said this, a nationwide reading of the Holy Scriptures. Huh. Would we all pass out if a president did that today? For a renewed, why? For a renewed strengthening contact with those eternal truths and majestic principles which have inspired such measure of true greatness as this nation has achieved. President Woodrow Wilson from 1913 to 1921 said America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. And by the way, every quote I have for you, if you want to know where that came from, if you'll let me know, I can't give it to you now. But I can tell you exactly where they all came from because this is very well studied. President um, Harry Truman, served from 1945 to 1953, said, The fundamental basis of this nation's law, listen, was given to Moses on the mount. The fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights, listen, our Bill of Rights, freedom of religion, freedom of press, even though we may not like some of the fake news, but they still have freedom to print and press and do those things. The right to bear arms, the things that we hold dear. Here's what this president said. He said, the fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights comes from the teachings which we get from Exodus and St. Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. I don't think we emphasize that enough these days. If in the 40s and 50s he wasn't emphasizing it enough or we weren't as a nation, what are we not doing right today? President Teddy Roosevelt served from 1901 to 1909. He said the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined with our whole civic and social life that it would be literally, I do not mean figuratively, I mean literally, impossible for us to for, uh, uh, figure ourselves what that life would be, watch this, if these teachings were removed. We would lose almost all standards by which we now judge both public and private morals. He didn't know he was a prophet. Is that not where we are as a nation today? He goes on to say, all the standards toward which we with more or less resolution, strive to raise ourselves. Almost every man who has by his life work added to the sum of human achievement, of which the race is proud, of which our people are proud, almost every such man has based his life work largely upon the teachings... Of the Bible, folks, living by the Bible is way more than just the spiritual aspect of your life. When you apply these principles, it affects your health, it affects your marriage, it affects your job, it affects your creativity, it affects every single area of your life in a positive way. Somebody say a good amen. Amen. President Andrew Jackson served from 1829 to 1837. Said, "It is the Bible. It the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests." President Ronald Reagan, served 81 to 1989, said, Of the many influences that have shaped the United States of America into a distinctive uh, nation and people, none may be said to be more fundamental and enduring than the Bible. The Bible and its teachings helped form the basis of the Founding Fathers' abiding belief in the inalienable rights of the individual, rights which they found implicit in the Bible's teachings of the inherent worth uh, and dignity of each individual President Abraham Lincoln, sir, from 1861 to 1865, said the Bible is the best gift God has given to man. These are presidents saying this, folks. All the good the Savior gave to the world was communicated through this book. But for it, we could not know right from wrong. Listen, these are presidents that boldly made these statements, that didn't care what society thought, They weren't interested and worried about if somebody was offended. They boldly said, we are a nation built on the Bible. But pastor, what about separation of church and state? Because you hear it a lot now. I mean, what about separation of church and state? Isn't that in the Constitution, Pastor? Wouldn't our founding fathers have... Weren't they the ones that put that somewhere in the Constitution? The answer is no way, Jose. (laughs) Did you know that separation of church and state came from one letter Thomas Jefferson sent to a private individual telling him why the government needs to keep their hands out of the church? Not to make a state religion, not to make a national religion, not to enforce its will on religion. But listen, separation of church and state was always from the government to the church. It was never written by Thomas Jefferson to keep the government's hands out of the church or to keep the Bible and Christianity and morals out of government, out of public schools and out of public arena. It was said because he didn't want the government controlling religion and Christianity. It was not said because they wanted to keep all that out of our public arenas. President Zachary Taylor, who served from 1849 to 1850 because he died in office, said, The Bible is the best of all books. Again, a president. And I wish it were in the hands of everyone. It is indispensable to the safety and permanence of our institutions. A free government cannot exist without religion and morals, and there cannot be morals without religion, nor religion without the Bible. Especially should the Bible be placed, listen to what the president said, in the hands of the young. It is the best school book in the world. I ain't even got to the part yet where I'm going to tell you that the basic textbook in early America was a Bible. I'm going there. He said, I would that all our people were brought up under the influence of that holy book. But wait, Pastor. What about our founding fathers? Did they believe about the Bible like this? Weren't they deists? I mean, I've heard Thomas Jefferson and Frank and Benjamin Franklin, and they were godless men. They'd be horrified about the Bible being in public arenas and this being called a Christian nation. Well, let's dive in. In 1809, everybody say 1809. The first American Bible Society was created, watch this, by a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Now, how do you know who founding fathers were? There were 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence. There were 39 who signed the Constitution. Many people think it was hundreds and hundreds, 56 and 39. If you sign one of them, you're considered a founding father. If you did other things, there were other attributes, but there wasn't an exhaustive thousands and thousands of it. it was They represented America. Now... The first American Bible Society was, was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Watch this. In eight years, by 1817, there were 121 local and state Bible societies that had been started in America, largely by people who signed the Declaration and our Constitution. In fact, in 1816, America's first national Bible society was formed, and it was called the American Bible Society. Now... Who started the first American Bible Society in 1816? Are you ready? It was a founding father, you've probably never heard his name, by by the name of Elias Boudinot. Elias Boudinot was a man who was a president of Congress during the American Revolution. So how many would say right off the bat, that's a founding father. He was president of Congress during the American Revolution. He's, he's, He's it. He was also a framer of the Bill of Rights. The freedom to come and worship, the right to bear arms, those kind of things we talked about. He helped write those and frame those. He was also the first attorney admitted to the Supreme Court Bar. Here's what he said concerning the Bible. Elias Boudinot, founding father, said, Were you to ask me to recommend the most valuable book in the world, I should fix on the Bible as the most instructive, both to the wise and ignorant, Were you to ask me for one book affording the most rational and pleasing entertainment to the inquiring mind, I should repeat, it is the Bible. And should you renew the inquiry for the best philosophy or the most interesting history, I should still urge you to look into your Bible. I would make it in short the Alpha and Omega of knowledge. I have a question. Does he sound like a deist to you? Does he sound like somebody that would be appalled to be called a Christian nation? Does he sound like somebody that would want the Bible not in our public arenas? He steps down. The second president of the American Bible Society was a guy named John Jay. You may not have heard his name, but John Jay was appointed by George Washington, our first president of the United States, to be the first or the original chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. (laughs) The second president of the American Bible Society was a Supreme Court chief justice. Today, we would expect ministers to start Bible societies. But in the early days of America, listen, it was presidents, military generals, attorney generals, and Supreme Court justices who started them. Here's what some other church fathers had to say about the Bible. Patrick Henry, you know the guy who said, give me liberty or give me death? He said, it, speaking of the Bible, is a book worth more than all the other books that were ever printed. Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration of Independence, said, The Bible contains more knowledge necessary to man in his present state than any other book in the world. By renouncing the Bible, philosophers swing from their moorings. Moorings is an old English word which means anchor, like you anchor a boat or you tie it to a dock. He said philosophers swing from the anchors upon moral subjects. Listen, this is absolute truth. And when we get away from absolute truth, anything goes. And that's where we're at in society. We've got to get back to the absolute truth of the Bible. It is, in fact, the Word of God. He said it is all, the only correct map of the human heart that has ever been published. John Jay, original Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, also at one time President of the Continental Congress and author of the Federalist Papers. That's a big, big founding father. He said, the Bible is the best of all books, for it is the Word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and in the next. He's talking about eternity. Continue, therefore, to read it and to regulate your life by its precepts. John Quincy Adams, fifth president of the United States, 1825 to 1829, said no book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. This is the fifth president of the United States. The first and almost the only book deserving such universal recommendation is the Bible. Robert Payne, signer of the Declaration of Independence, said, I believe the Bible is the written word of God and to contain it in the whole rule of faith and manners. Again, there were 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence. Do you know probably the most famous founding father who never signed the Declaration of Independence? George Washington, our first president. Many people don't know that. Oh, we knew he was a deist. No, he was fighting something called the American Revolutionary War. He couldn't be there to sign it. He was the general of the army. William Samuel Johnson, signer of the Constitution, said, Remember that you are the redeemed of the Lord, he's quoting scriptures, Ephesians 1-7, that you are bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6-20. Even the inestimable price of the precious blood of the Son of God, acquaint yourselves with Him in His holy word and holy ordinances. Folks, does that sound like a pagan deist who doesn't want God or Jesus in this country? There were 39 men who signed the Constitution. Interestingly enough, do you know two famous founding fathers who did not sign the Constitution? John Adams, our second president. Thomas Jefferson, our third. Oh, oh, oh. We knew they were deists. We knew it. They weren't interested in the, in the Constitution. We knew it. We're going to quote them. Well, that's because John Adams was serving as an ambassador in England, and Thomas Jefferson was serving as an ambassador in France. They couldn't be on this side of the ocean to sign it, but they very much were in favor of it. George Washington actually did sign the Constitution. Here's an interesting guy named James Wilson. Everybody say James Wilson. James Wilson. James Wilson was an interesting guy because you've probably never heard of him in your life, but he was a signer of the Declaration of Penance and the Constitution and one of the six original Supreme Court justices. I mean, this dude. listen, there were only six men who signed both the Declaration and the Constitution. Five of them you've probably never heard of. The one that you would have heard of, Benjamin Franklin, signed both of them. He's the only founding father you probably recognize. James Wilson said, Our all-gracious creator, preserver, and ruler has been pleased to discover and enforce his laws by a revelation given to us immediately and directly from himself. This revelation is contained in the Holy Scripture. Folks, these are founding fathers saying this stuff. Noah Webster, schoolmaster to America, creator of the American Dictionary, said this, The Bible is the chief moral cause of all that is good and the best corrector of all that is evil in human society. The best book for regulating the temporal concerns of men. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war. Watch this. Proceed from them despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. Don't we see that in society today? When people despise and neglect this, they go off the deep end and they lose their mind and get out wrapped in all kinds of sin. I'm going to get into in a little bit about Noah Webster and why he was so powerful. He wrote basically many of America's textbooks that were used for over 100 years. James McHenry, signer of the Constitution, said this, The Holy Scriptures can alone secure to society order and peace and to our courts of justice and constitutions of government purity, stability, and usefulness. Bibles are strong in treatments. Where they abound, men cannot pursue wicked courses and at the same time enjoy quiet conscience. And that's why people don't want to hear the truth. Because once you hear the truth, you got to deal with it. And if you want to live in sin, you can't do it peacefully when you know what the Bible says. Somebody say a good amen. John Adams, second president of the United States from 1797 to 1801. Listen, there were only two presidents in the 1700s. George Washington and John Adams. Everybody else was after that. So we're talking early, early. Signed the Declaration of Independence. He said, suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book. And every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts that existed. There existed. What a utopia. What a paradise would this region be. The Bible is the best book in the world. Folks, I don't know about you, but I have a question. Do these guys sound like they would not want the Bible in America? Do they sound like they're not Christians or don't want Christianity? Do they sound like the pagan, deist, godless people they're made out to be today? Well, that's the founding fathers. That's a few of them, but what about all of them? Are you ready for this? At the conclusion of the American Revolution... Our founding fathers wanted all Americans to have Bibles. So in 1781, listen, this is before the Constitution is written that we live by now. A plan was put in motion by the Continental Congress to print America's first English language Bible. Watch this. It blew me away when I found this. On September 12th, 1782, the full Congress, all of them, approved that Bible, and it soon began rolling off the present. They took taxpayer money, printed Bibles so every American could have a Bible. Does that sound like a bunch of deists that don't like Jesus Christ or the Bible to you? Printed in the front of the Bible that you can still read today as a congressional endorsement declaring in part, resolved that the United States in Congress assembles recommend this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. Wow. One early historian wrote it this way. Who will call in question the assertion that this is a Bible nation? Who will charge the government with indifference to religion when the first Congress of the states, watch this, assumed all the rights and performed all the duties of a Bible society long before such an institution had an existence in the world? In other words, the Congress saw there wasn't a Bible society. They said, well, we're going to be one. Print Bibles, give them to everybody. Folks, that's the way our nation was founded. Why is that important? Because we need to know that how we begin is how we need to remain. And we don't need to be ashamed about being called a Christian. We don't need to be ashamed about believing in the Bible. Everybody else is coming out of the closet. We may as well come out too. Woo! John Adams, second president of the United States, again, said the general principles in which the fathers uh, achieved independence. How did they get independence? Were the general principles of Christianity. He is accrediting the principles of the Bible and Christianity to why we won the American Revolutionary War. He said, now I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. Wow. Wow. Our founding fathers founded our country on the word of God. Do you believe the Bible is the word of God? Do you believe this is God's spoken word? If so, are you building your life on the Bible? Are you building your finances on the Bible? Are you building your marriage on the Bible? Are you building up your children, raising them on the Bible? Are you building every aspect of your life on the Bible? Could you be accused of being a person of the word? If early Americans built this country on the Bible and you're building your life on the Bible, watch this. It can be said of you that you're an American. If you're not building your life on the Bible, just a question. Could it be said of you that you're an un-American? Secondly, America was founded on evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. Is the United States of America a Christian nation? Woodrow Wilson seemed to think so. President 1913 1921 said America was born a what? He called us a Christian nation. He said America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelation of Holy Scripture. Are you ready? This is going to blow you away. Lyndon B. Johnson, 1963 to 69. He said, in these last 200 years, we have guided the building of our nation and our society by those principles and precepts brought to the earth nearly 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas. Richard Nixon, I'm not a crook. 1969 to 1974, before he was impeached, said, Let us remember that as a Christian nation, we have a charge and a destiny. Folks, even guys that weren't even living for God recognized we were a Christian nation. Herbert Hoover, 1929 to 33, said, American life is building and can alone survive upon the fundamental philosophy announced by the Savior 19 centuries ago. Harry Truman, this is a Christian nation. In this great country of ours has been demonstrated the fundamental unity of Christianity and democracy. I want to tell you I'm proud to be an American and I'm proud to be a Christian. And I will not hide it and I don't care who likes it. We were founded on the Bible. We are a Christian nation and in Jesus' name we will always be a Christian nation. Well, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but let's go beyond the presidents to the founding fathers. How really was America formed? I mean, how it started is how it got to remain. Well, I'm glad you asked. Are you ready for this? In 1606, the Virginia Charter. We're talking Jamestown stuff here. Declared that the colony was started for the propagating of Christian religion to such people as yet live in ignorance of the true knowledge and worship of God. They said, we're starting this colony because we want to send the gospel of Jesus to this new world. The Mayflower Compact of 1620 declared that their endeavor was undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. In 16, the 1629 charter of Massachusetts Bay Colony, folks, that's Plymouth Rock stuff declared that winning the country to the knowledge and obedience of the only true God and Savior of mankind in the Christian faith is the principal end of this plantation colony. They said, "This is why we're here. We're here to win people to Jesus." The 19th or excuse me, the 1639 Fundamental Orders of Connecticut declared its main purpose was to maintain and preserve the liberty and purity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ which we now profess. The 1643 United Colonies of New England affirmed, We all came into these parts of America with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. Do these sound like pagan deists to you? In 1833, the U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Marshall said one great object of the colonial charters was, unav- was avowedly, excuse me, the propagation of the Christian faith. Over one century later, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren, some of you may remember him, Sir, from 1953 to 1969 on the court said this, I believe no one can read the history of our country without realizing that the good book, he was talking about the Bible, and the spirit of the Savior, Jesus, have from the beginning been our guiding geniuses. Whether we look to the first charter of Virginia, or to the charter of New England, or to the charter of Massachusetts Bay, or the fundamental order of Connecticut, the same objective is present. A Christian land governed by Christian Principles. Folks, we had Supreme Court justices in the 60s that were saying we are a Christian land governed by Christian principles. I'm saying let's get back to those principles in the Word of God and live them out. Psalm I just read this week says that when it's the it's the word of God that revives our souls. America was founded. To give people the gospel of Jesus Christ evangelism. Is your life founded on evangelism? Could you be accused of someone who is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere you go? That's what they did. This was the first and foremost reason a miracle began. It was their primary mission. So if it's our primary mission, it can be said we're American. But I have a question for you. If we never evangelize, if we never share the gospel with anybody, not our workers, not our family, nobody, we hide our light under a bushel, could it be said about us that we're un-American? America was founded on prayer. Everybody say prayer. During the American Revolution alone, the Continental Congress, not churches, Congress, Called the nation to prayer on 15 separate occasions. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just a little lily lamp prayer. It It ain't really nothing big, Pastor. Let me just give you three excerpts real quick. In March 1776, this is prior to the Declaration of Independence, which happened on July 4, 1776. The founders asked the country to observe a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer that we may, watch this, appease His righteous displeasure and through the merits and meditation of Jesus Christ obtain His pardon and forgiveness. Congress and our founding fathers appealed to the entire nation and said, everybody fast and pray and repent. On November 1st, 1777, the founders asked the country to join the penitent confession of their manifold sins that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance and to prosper the means of religion for the promotion and enlargement of that kingdom which consisteth in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 14, 17. These are official prayer proclamations, folks, from our Congress. They were not deists. They founded our country on prayer. Should we be founded on prayer? Absolutely. On October 20th, 1779, listen, during the middle of the American Revolution, you would think Congress and our founding fathers were wrapped up in the war and would think of nothing else. But they asked the country to pray that he would spread the light of Christian knowledge through the remotest corners of the earth. Do they sound like deists to you? Do they sound like people that would not want the Bible in our public arenas and our government and our schools? In fact, by 1815, listen... Over 1,400 official prayer proclamations had been issued not by churches, not by pastors, but by federal and state governments. Man, I'm motivated by this. I'm tired of the world telling us and pagan people that we're not a Christian nation. We are a Christian nation. We were founded on the gospel of Jesus. And I'm ready to stand up for the gospel. Hallelujah. The gospel, the Bible, prayer, that's our roots. And I want to walk in what we were founded on. I mean, if our country was founded and built on prayer to God the Father and of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, and our lives are founded on prayer, can it be said about us we're American? If our our lives are not founded on prayer, could it be said that we're un-American? Because we're not acting like they did. Last point, point number four. America was founded on public professions for Christ. Somebody say amen. I mean, did our founding fathers publicly tested, could declare their oath for Christ? The Bible Christianity? Was Christianity in the Bible excluded from government and, and public arenas? Are you ready for this? Just tell me I'm ready, Pastor. Are you sure you're ready? Listen. The state of Delaware's 1776 Constitution. Their state constitution. Whose authors include Declaration of Independence signers George Reed, Thomas McKean, and Constitution signer John Dickinson. So you've got three founding fathers in this. They helped write this. Here's what they stipulated. It just blew me away when I found this. Every person who shall be chosen a member of either house, state house, Or appointed to any office or place of trust shall make and subscribe the following declaration to wit. I, you fill in your name, do profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ his only Son and the Holy Ghost one God. Blessed forevermore. And I do acknowledge the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. You don't make this pledge, you don't serve in the state government. You want me to keep going? Oh, that's just Delaware. Okay. Massachusetts, 1780 Constitution. You ready? Written by the help of declaration signer Samuel Adams. Who's Samuel Adams? He started the Boston Tea Party. He was the head of it. John Hancock. He's the one that signed the Declaration of Independence. so big, it's huge. He said, I want the king of England to be able to read my name without his glasses on. We're talking about Robert Payne, John Adams, second president of the United States. These these are four of the men that helped write the Massachusetts State Constitution. Any person chosen, governor, lieutenant, governor, counselor, senator or representative, and accepting this trust shall before he proceed to execute the duties of his place or office, make and subscribe the following declaration viz. I, put your name in there, do declare I believe the Christian religion and have a per- firm persuasion of its truth. You don't do that, you ain't serving. 1776, Pennsylvania Constitution, which declaration signers, Benjamin Franklin, wait a minute, I thought this guy was a deist and he didn't want anything to do with God. Well, let's find out. Him and James Smith, you remember James Smith, the lawyer we talked about earlier, the Supreme Court justice guy? These are two signers of declaration and constitution. One third of the men, the total amount of men who signed both documents, here's what they wrote. Each member of the legislator, before he take his seat, shall make and subscribe to the following declaration viz. I do believe in one God, the creator and governor of the universe, the rewarder of the good, and the punisher of the wicked. And I acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be given by divine inspiration. In other words, they're they're Christ-centered. These are state constitutions. Do these men sound like deists to you? Do these men sound like they would come back from the grave and say, "Throw the Bible out of our public arenas, throw it out of our schools, get Christianity out"? We don't want anything to do with that. No, it's the opposite. Would you publicly confess Christianity in the Bible, if you will, to make you American? Somebody say, "Amen." You know a good way to be, to, to publicly confess. Your love for Jesus and your t- is to be baptized in water. We got water baptism in here in two weeks. Listen, if you're in our online campus, we invite you to drive all the way up here in two weeks. We'll baptize you in water right here. Two weeks we're going to baptize in water. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, the Christian spirit in America was clear, so clear to the British, that a man in England wrote, if you ask an American who his master will be, he will tell you none, but, and he has no governor either but Jesus Christ. Watch this. Between 1836 and 1847, Congress, everybody say Congress, commissioned four massive paintings to be hung in the rotunda of our U.S. Capitol. Those paintings are still hanging there today. You can see them. The four paintings were this. Two of them were Christian prayer services. One was a Christian Bible study and one a Christian baptism. Everything to do with Christianity. Well, about 10 years later, in 1852 to 1853, a group of people that didn't like the word in the Bible said, we don't like these paintings. Congress, get them out. As a matter of fact, we want the Capitol to be a public building for public use only because up till that time, listen, the U.S. Capitol was the largest church in Washington, D.C. and had service every single Sunday out of it. They said, we don't want this anymore. Get this out. We don't want Christianity, we don't want Christian paintings, get them all out. 1852, 1853. Here's how Congress responded. Are you ready? The House Judiciary Committee said, had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. In other words, if this wasn't about Christianity, we'd have never made it. At the time of the adoption of the Constitution and the amendments, the universal sentiment was that Christianity should be encouraged, not any one-sect denomination. In this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. Congress said this. That in its general principles, it is the greatest conservative element on which we must rely for the purity and permanence of free institutions. Congress said if you want to remain free as a nation, it better be based on this book. Folks, that's Congress. Well, that's the House. What did the Senate say? I'm glad you asked. The Senate Judiciary Committee responded to these people, and they said, we are Christians. Not because the law demands it, not to gain exclusive benefits to avoid legal disabilities, but from choice and education and in a land thus universally Christian. What is to be expected, what desired? but that we shall pay a due regard to Christianity. 1856, the U.S. House of Representatives also declared the great vital and conservative element in our system is the belief of our people in the pure doctrines and the divine truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the 1850s, they were still declaring, we are a Christian nation, we have lived our lives based on this book. I want to tell you, it's high time we start praying in some more senators that believe like this. Some more presidents to say, wait a minute, we are a christian nation you may not want jesus you may not want the word but that's how we started what about judges pastor we've heard a lot well okay let me just give you a few first chief justice of the u.s supreme court john jay we talked about him he served on the court from 1789 to 1795 he said providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers and it is the duty of as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation, there's a judge calling us a Christian nation, watch this, to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. This guy was appointed by George Washington. Justice Joseph Story on the court, U.S. Supreme Court from 1812 to 1845, said there there never has been a period in which the common law, the Constitution, did not recognize Christianity as lying as its foundations. There would seem to be a peculiar propriety in viewing the Christian religion as the basis on which it must rest its support and permanence. Chief Justice, or not Chief Justice, but U.S. Supreme Court Justice John McLean... On the court from 1830 to 1861 said it this way: For many years, my hope for the perpetuity of our institutions has rested upon Bible morality and the general dissemination of Christian principles. Our mission of freedom is not carried out by brute force, by canon law, or any other law except the moral law and those Christian principles which are found in the Scriptures. U.S. Supreme Court Justice David Brewer on the court from 1890 to 1910 said, Christianity came to this country with the first colonists, has been powerfully identified with its rapid development, colonial and national, and today exists as a mighty factor in the life of the republic. This is a Christian nation. The calling of this republic a Christian nation is not mere pretense, but a recognition of a historical, legal, and social truth. Why am I doing this today? Because we got to know our roots are founded in Christianity and the Bible. It should make us rise up and demand our country go back to that. To spread the gospel of Jesus. To see revival in our land. To see the Holy Spirit bring a great awakening. To see millions saved and come to the glorious gospel of Jesus. Somebody say amen. And a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court. Everybody say U.S. Supreme Court. Ever I say unanimous decision, I'm not sure I can remember a unanimous decision by our Supreme Court in my lifetime. In 1844, the court held Christianity is not to be maliciously and openly reviled and blasphemed against to the annoyance of believers or the injury of the public. Such a case is not to be presumed to exist in a Christian country. Every chief, every justice on that Supreme Court said that. In 1892, the Supreme Court delivered a unanimous ruling declaring, no purpose of action against religion can be imputed to any legislation, state or national, because this is a religious people. This is a Christian nation. And a unanimous decision. Everybody say unanimous. That's an act of God. Decision in 1844. Are you ready? I'm going to get into some school stuff here. And I'm almost done held that a government-operated school, Supreme Court, unanimous decision, a government-operated, that's public school, must include, not exclude as it does today, the teaching of the Bible to students. We're told separation of church and state. You know what we do as a nation? We lay down and we take it. Oh, it must be true. It's not true. Go back to precedents. Our Supreme Court in 1844 said it has to include the Bible. Folks, we've been lied to. We are Christians. That 1844 Supreme Court ruling, they cited Judge Wilson in his commentaries on law. Who's Judge Wilson? Judge James Wilson. Remember? Signed the Constitution and Independence, Declaration of Independence. He was also, watch this, the second most active member of the Continental uh, Convention, talking about the Constitution. He spoke 168 times on the floor of the convention and was called a master builder of the Constitution. He was also one of the six original uh, justices, excuse me, Supreme Court justices appointed by George Washington. In early America, listen, they used the Bible to teach first grade. They, the, they use the Bible to teach. Watch this. Do you know what the founding fathers relied heavily on in framing the Declaration of Independence? Are you ready? I'm almost done. Two treatises of government by John Locke, which referenced the Bible over 1,500 times, to establish the proper operation of civil government. Watch this. Of the 56 men who signed the original Declaration of Independence. Are you ready? 29 of those men had Bible degrees or degrees in what we and, and held what would be characterized today as seminary or Bible school degrees. Over half of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence had seminary Bible degrees, folks. They were not deists. They were Christians. The first Bible, as we said in the English language in America, was... In 1782, not only contained the glowing congressional endorsement, but it also described in the records of Congress that you can go read today, a neat edition of the Holy Scriptures for the use of where? Congress said, man, let's put this in every American, and oh, it's great to use in schools. Noah Webster. His school books were used for decades, over a century after his death. Look at what advice... He gave his students in public school textbooks. I would commend to you at this early period of life to become well acquainted with the scriptures and with the facts and arguments which support their authenticity and their divine origin. Nothing is more common, watch this, than for young men to fall into skepticism merely for want of a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. That was on the opening page of the school textbook. Noel Webster also wrote in the public school textbooks, he said, It is the sincere desire of the writer that himself that our citizens should early understand the, the genuine source of correct Republican principles in the Bible, particularly the New Testament or the Christian religion. Listen, in the coming weeks, I'm just going to give you some definitions out of this versus the dictionary. They've changed our dictionary, folks. What I hold is one of my most prized possessions. It is the American Dictionary of the English Language, Noah Webster, 1828. This is when the first dictionary came out. This dictionary has words that are defined all the way through using Scripture to define them. I'm going to show you in the coming weeks comparisons of an American dictionary now versus this one from 1828 and show you they have changed the meaning of our words To take scripture out of the definitions. Folks, this is a Christian nation. Let me close with this. The New England Primer was the first textbook ever published in America. It was published in 1690. Prior to that, the Bible was the main textbook. And even after that, it was one of the main textbooks. The New England Primer was the basic textbook for all schools starting in 1690. It was printed in Boston and became America's first purely American textbook. All the way, watch this, into the 1930s. 1690 to the 1930s. I'm going to blow your mind. Are you ready for this? Everybody say get ready. The primer back in those days, you didn't have like first grade, second grade, third grade. But they used the primer to teach kids to read. When they, when they were trying to teach kids to read, it would be the equivalent of a first grade textbook. So the New England primer was the one that they taught kids to read. It would be what you would call today a first grader book. For over 200 years into the 1930s, our nation used the New England Primer. They taught them to read. The founding fathers were raised on this textbook, and they reprinted it to ensure their children and their generation would have it. Guys like Benjamin Franklin, Samuel Adams, and so forth. So for well over 200 years, listen, this is how they taught first graders in this country the alphabet. Are you ready? Everybody look on this screen right here. A, a wise man makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of mother. Proverbs 10, 1. B, first grader, we want you to know your alphabet. B, better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Proverbs 15, 16. C, come unto Christ, all ye that labor and heavy late. Folks, they taught kids the scriptures when they taught them their ABCs. That was used from 1690 to the 1930s. So what's the problem in America, pastor? Just leave that up. I mean P, Peter denied his Lord and cried. I love it. You know what the problem is in America? It's not sin. The problem in America isn't people that don't want to live right. The problem in America is Christians have quit acting like our founding fathers. We've quit praying. We've quit fasting. We've quit total commitment to God. We've quit a total reliance on the Holy Spirit. We, we, have, we, have, we, we have reduced Christianity to maybe showing up for an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday, praying a nice little cute meal over our meal, maybe a little bedtime prayer. We spend two minutes a day with God and 16 hours a day in TV and other things, and we wonder why our nation is going to pot. Folks, we got to rise up and go back to the how America was founded on the Bible on prayer, on days of humiliation. I'm not talking about us in general. Listen, I know you all at the end of a 21-day fast, so you guys have done great. But, but don't do what you did for these first 21 days and then just go back to the way it was tomorrow. How many of you have spent a lot of time in prayer these last three weeks? I'm sure you had. You get hungry, you can't eat. Just, man, I, whatever. Or if you've eaten, you know, you feel like a monkey because you've eaten five million bananas, you think, I I don't even want to see another banana. I'm, I'm pleading with you. Our country was founded on real Christianity. I'm talking about Book of Acts Christianity. And we saw a great awakening. John Edwards and some of the greats. Let's see a great awakening again. God is looking for a body of people like you, those of you watching online, like me in here. He is longing for a group of people to say, man, I'm going back to the pages of the Bible. I'm going to stake my life on the Word of God. I'm going to teach my kids and my grandkids the Word of God. I'm going to pray until I see revival. I'm going to pray until I see sickness leave bodies. I'm going to pray and believe until diseases fly right out of bodies. I'm going to worship God till the presence of God shows up and to the power of God hits until I see the gifts of the Spirit. All oh, things like tongues and interpretation and the gift of prophecy. Things like the gift of faith and the gift of miracles and the gifts of healing. Things like a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and discerning of spirits. It didn't die in the book of Acts. It's for today. I'm hungry to see the moving of the Holy Spirit. I'm hungry to see people run to the altars again, crying out for mercy from Jesus, asking for his forgiveness. I long to see families restored and marriages put back together. Why don't we be those group of people? Why not we be part of that solution? Somebody say amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, if that's you. I don't want you to come down and just right where you're at, just close your eyes and just, and just maybe extend your hands out and just say, God, me, me, here I am, Lord, send me like Isaiah said in Isaiah 6. Say, God, I give myself, I give all of me. I want to be that person. I want to bring revival to my family, to my neighbors, to everywhere I go. He said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, that's all of you, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. Will you surrender yourself today? Will you lay down your life? Come on, if, you're, if that's you, just surrender yourself now to Him. Just tell Him. Say, Lord, I'm in. Let me use a poker table term. I'm all in, Lord. I'm all in.